Merry Christmas. You know, I, I love Christmas. I don't know about you, but I, I love Christmas. Although we, we have had our moments, Christmas and I. See, I grew up, uh, my dad was a director of Christian education, so that meant like on Christmas Eve, the week before Christmas, Christmas Day, I literally lived at church. And so we had services kind of like St. John's does, where we had, you know, five or six services on Christmas Eve, and so I was there like all day. So I wasn't so fond of that always. And we always did kind of the German tradition and opened up our gifts on Christmas Eve. And so we get done with the late service and we get home at like, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight, and we'd go open all the gifts. Well, because we're a church family, we also went to the Christmas Day service. And so, you know, after we finished all our gifts, like two in the morning, we'd get up at eight o'clock to go to church at nine. But I grew to love Christmas. And I grew to love all the services because I'd see people that I know. There's just something that's comfortable about the familiarity of Christmas. I'd see people that I hadn't seen in years that had moved away or gone to college and they'd come home and they'd be with family. You meet and you talk and you find out what was going on and it, it feels good gathering with, with family and friends and, and singing the carols, those familiar words that we all just kind of seem to know. But I think sometimes we get our, our meaningfulness out of Christmas a, a little too easy. That, that maybe we're, we're missing something, that there's, there's something there that is just beyond our grasp that Christmas is really all about. In Matthew and Mark and Luke, we, we get the facts of Christmas, the story of Christmas, uh, the story of the father, the story of the mother, the angel, the shepherds, the magi. But John, John gives us the meaning of Christmas. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Does anyone have a gifted gift giver in their family? Somebody that just knows the right thing to get? That's my mother-in-law. So that's what I have to compete with with my wife. I inherited my gift-giving ability from my parents. Zero. <laughs> and so how does this work? You have this challenge of like, okay, what am I going to get her? What am I going to get her? And about September every year, it starts for me. So we have anniversary in November, then Christmas, and then her birthday. And so I've got three in a row, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know what the solution is to that? She tells me. Right? That's how you know, right? You need someone to give you the word. Like, this is what you get me. This year she sent me a list by email with links that I could click on. It was fabulous. <laughs> right? And, and so that's what's, what's really special and really amazing about what God is doing here in John. And what John is telling us is God gives us his word. 
Yes, it is found in the Bible. But it's Jesus. And then kind of the other side of that. Uh, there's some people that feel like they know Lindsay because she's a little bit prolific online if you've ever read any of her stuff. And, and, but if you press them, if you say, do you really know Lindsay, what does it come down to? What will it come down to if you say, hey, I know this person or that person? The question always comes back to, well, have you talked to them? See, the truth is you can know a lot about someone by stalking them on Facebook, by reading what they write, uh, by like listening to a pastor up front and hearing what they say. But if somebody presses you and says, do you know them? The question always comes down to, have you ever talked to them? What John is saying about God is that here in Jesus, God talks to us. That, that we can know God. And that in Jesus, the Word becoming flesh, we have the clearest revelation of who God is. So that kind of comes home to us for our faith. We, we can know a lot about God. But to know God, it takes Jesus. That brings us to kind of the second part, to the Word becomes flesh. The Word becoming flesh means that, that God, the, the all-powerful God of the universe, becomes fragile, becomes vulnerable, becomes fleshy and soft. It's really kind of amazing when you think about it. When I was working with youth, I was an, an intern and uh, my boss, um, you know, was one of those kind of more put together people, didn't make some of the poor choices that I did. And one of the, the youth came up to me and says, I want to talk to you. And it was kind of of a sensitive nature sort of a thing. And, and I said, well, wouldn't you rather talk to this other person? You know, they're really in charge here. I'm just an intern. And they looked back at me and said, no, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, but don't take this the wrong way, but it seems like you've made your fair amount of mistakes. <laughs> you see, the thing is, is we want somebody that's been there, right? The, the best counselors, the best people that can speak into our lives, the best people that can listen to us when we're struggling, when we're having a hard time, are people that have been there. And people that have come out the other side. And people that are able to, to understand what we're going through. And not try to brush over it and patch it. You see, when this individual came to me, they didn't want judgment. They wanted a listening ear, a caring ear. Somebody that would say, I'm sorry. This is hard. The word became flesh. But what John is telling us about Jesus is that Jesus has been there. Have you been hungry? So is he. Have you been lonely? So is he. Have you been betrayed? So was he. The word became flesh. It means that God knows us. Not in a ethereal sort of knowledge, philosophical way, but, but knows us. 
The word became flesh means that the, the God of the universe went on the table himself and has experienced everything that we've experienced. And so that when we're going through it, when we're struggling, he knows what it's like to be exactly where we are. That brings us to kind of the third thing that I think is kind of funny about Christmas. Most of the year, people will tell you, you know, get your head out of the clouds. You got to come back down to reality. Give up on your ideals. But at Christmas, it's kind of the other way around, isn't it? We all live in this ideal world where we have this picture of the family gathering where everything's going to go perfect and everybody's going to get along and nothing's going to be overcooked, right? We have this great ideal. It's going to be perfect. And it kind of never is, is it? And so why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we get to this worked up sense where, oh, this is going to be perfect, this is going to be great? Why are we looking for this Christmas miracle? You see, I think that's why, you know, all that stuff that I was talking about before that feels so good about Christmas can kind of ring a little bit hollow. Because Christmas wakes up the deepest part of us, our, our deepest need, the, the need to be known and, and, and to know others, and it gives us this picture of this great ideal. And yet Christmas also tells us that it's possible. We see it even in the movies. Even in the most unlikeliest of places, this holding on to the ideals as the world as it ought to be and not as it actually is. My favorite, National Lampoons. Who's the hero in that movie? Cousin Eddie, right? The madman, the crazy guy. But what is it about him? He hears what's going on, the reality of the world, and he does something, a crazy thing, to live in the ideal world rather than the real world and goes and grabs his boss. If I'm ruining this movie for you, you really should have watched it already. <laughs> and drags the boss back to set things right. The message of Christmas is that the ideal, the God of the universe, breaks into the world and brings the ideals to life. The ideal becomes real. The God of the universe, the unscalable majesty of God. This is, this is calling our mind back to, to the mountain, to Moses. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. These words, the glory, John is, is saying, in case you missed it, the unfathomable, unsearchable glory of God, the thunder and the fire and the smoke on the mountain has become embraceable, has become touchable, has become accessible for you and me. The ideal, the everything that you and I hope for is real in this child. So the question is, what do we do with that? How do we respond to this God? The God who can be known in Jesus. The God who knows us in Jesus. The God that makes ideals real in his son for you and for me. 
What does that mean for my life? What does that mean as I sit around the tree and wrap the final presents for my kids with my wife tonight? Because I've succumbed to that other side of things where you open gifts on Christmas Day. Still don't think it's right, but all right, whatever. (laughs) What does that mean? It means that I can live in those ideals. Uh, Love the quote from uh, the musical Man of La Mancha, which is about Don Quixote, who is, of course, a madman. And he says, maddest of all, to live, to see the world as it is rather than as it ought to be. Maddest of all, to see the world as it is and not as it ought to be. Jesus Christ saw the world as it should be. And he came to earth to begin to set things right. And he invites us to see the world as it ought to be. To maybe let down our guard a little bit more. And let others know some of the stuff that we've been through. So that they can feel comfortable coming to us and saying, hey, I've got this going on and I don't know what to do. And we can offer that listening ear and really connect. Because we don't have to worry about whether or not we're accepted or loved because the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe has become fragile and vulnerable for me and for you. So he invites us to join him, to see the world as it ought to be, to be part of making it that. Amen.